If you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah, the 11th chapter. This will be a highly inspirational message on joining the great army of the unknowns. Basically, we're going to talk about joining something and never having anybody notice what you do. Never having anybody pat you on the back. Um, it's going to be inspirational. Because everybody wants to join something that nobody's ever going to acknowledge, don't they? Yeah. That's, it's such an easy thing to get volunteers when you ask, ask that way. In fact, never once would we stand up and say, Oh, come on, would you, would you like to do a bunch of work, have nobody notice it? But it would be really helpful. No, most people don't. And it was very heartening to hear this morning as the painting was acknowledged by the congregation. Because normally that's something that gets done by somebody and nobody ever sees because they're here when nobody else is here. Painting, doing all of the work, and then not ever having anybody say, oh, thanks, good job. So again, I hold to the Ware Community Church is just slightly better than all the other churches. I know, it's now, what, six, six times I've been here, so I'm starting to speak as an expert, but this congregation is unique. It is unique in looking after each other, in caring for one another, and in pointing out what gets done. Now, I still, you have a bunch of people that do amazing things that people never really ever see or understand. And unfortunately, none of us are ever going to be able to say everything that got done and be able to acknowledge it all and know all the hard work that went into it. But we do serve a Lord who's faithful, who sees everything that gets done. And He is a rewarder far better than we ever could. So here we go. And I know if you're looking at Nehemiah 11, you're also starting to panic because it's another long section of names. And you're going, wow, how are we ever going to go through this? But not to worry. We will. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. And nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. And that's as much of that section as I'm going to read. But we're actually going to use all 30 verses. Or 36 verses as the text. But we've also discovered in my experiences with you folks that I am totally name challenged. And I will absolutely kill names if I try to say them. Basically what we have here is Ezra has gotten the, has gotten the agreement. The Israelites are back out of exile. They're coming home. This is after the long exile. They've spent the time away. They've been taken captive by Babylon. They've been away, and now this is the return. And one of the first things that was done during the return was the rebuilding of the temple, and Ezra got the temple restored. And then, later on in Ezra, we see the restoration of the, of the covenant life, the idea of coming back into fellowship with God, that God, the one true God, and the establishment of him again. And then Nehemiah comes along and rebuilds the wall because the wall around the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. So they've rebuilt the wall. 
And now we find ourselves here in the 11th chapter for the second part of the covenant life. The putting faith into action part. The, okay, God is the sovereign over the nation. We have the temple. We have the worship. We have the wall. How do we live? And what do they do? They move to the city of God. But we notice here, there's some people that we see. Um, these are volunteers. Why are they asking for volunteers? Well, basically because you have an urban development program going on. Great land for you, this blighted area. There's a lot of wrecked houses. There's stones everywhere. There's a nice new wall around the city. But there's not much going on inside the city because, of course, when the nation was taken over, they raised the city. And yes, they've reestablished the temple, but there hasn't been much good construction work that's gone on in the rest of the city. And people don't want to live there because they know that, oh, look at this. These people worship the one true God, and you have a bunch of pagans living out in the lands around. Pagans have this nasty habit of wanting to run in and, you know, take over things and burn things and do all sorts of nasty little things. And so they're asking the people to move into the projects and going, come on, let's move into this nice, the equivalent would be, let's move into this nice drug area with a couple meth houses, you know, all of that. Let, let's go to the most blighted area and call it home. And as we see, it was such a highly successful program that they start casting lots to try to get people to do it. Because the majority of the nation wants to stay up in the villages and go, oh yes, yeah, we totally believe, oh yeah, God, oh God's a great God. We need the temple back. I like going to the temple in the middle of the day. That's a nice time to go, but I don't want to go there at 5 o'clock. You know, it starts to get a little, a little dark out and it's not so safe. That's the area that you see here. That's why it's significant. And notice what's happened. We have this chapter with a whole bunch of names. Why? Because God sees. And God is a rewarder. And all these years later, they said, figure, you know, rough dating, say 430 B.C. for this particular section of Scripture. Um, that's what, 2,442 years? Roughly? 2,442 years later, we still see the names. See, because God sees. And that's why we're taking a look at this. The Hebrew word volunteered means to impel or incite from within. The volunteers that we're about to take a look at symbolize God's great army of the unknowns. The kind of solid people who fill every good and thriving church people who toil behind the scenes without any credit and with no other desire than to serve. And they teach us, God calls us to be faithful, not famous. You see, we want to be famous. We want our name up in lights. You know, even if we say, no, I don't want that, I definitely want a pat on the back. You know, I need to be patted on the back, told I'm doing a good job. We don't always get that serving the Lord. But if we're faithful and we wait, and I'm telling you, this is what I'm really hoping for, 
is that when I walk into the presence of God, he's able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But notice he says servant. It's still serving. Serving's not easy. We felt it this morning. Faithful people always take care of the sound, always take care of the worship. And what happened when there was a delay in that? The rest of us had to do something. How many times have we come in and not noticed it at all? And just simply gone, oh, that's great, yep, normal church. But never stopping to say thank you to the people who sit at the back that take the grief, who put all this work in, who put together the worship services at night. The fact that we come in and look, well, we'll get to it. First name we want to look at is in verse 11, Sariah. Sariah, this man was in charge of the day-to-day -day operations of the temple. He was the one who made sure everything was in its place, and everyone had what they needed. Who are the Sarias here in our church? Who are those who take care of the little things that go unnoticed by most people? Fastest way to discover them? Hide all the chairs. You hide all the chairs, you're going to find out the person who's always responsible for the chairs. And I'll tell you what, if we'd come in today for church and the chairs weren't here, we all would have noticed. It's the little things, but somebody takes care of the chairs. Somebody takes care of the fact that the bulletin was done and was downstairs for us. I don't, I don't know who did the bulletin. I know it got done. Somebody does it every week. Somebody has to put all those words in it. There isn't a magical bulletin machine that you just say, presto, the bulletin's ready. Who are these people who give up their time without asking anything in return? And where would we be without them? There's snacks for after service. They're there. You know, for all I know, the, the pastry fairy comes in and drops them off. Because they're there. You come out of service, they're there. They're ready. Somebody's made coffee. Right now, they're there. It's amazing. According to the Barner Research Organization, nearly one out of four adults volunteer some of their free time to help in a church in a typical week. I came across this quote. I liked it. I don't know. Let's see how we do. For want of a nail, a horse was lost. And why was that? Because horseshoes. If you don't know about horses, they have shoes. For want of a nail, a horse was lost. Couldn't put the shoe on the nail, so the horse couldn't be used. For want of a horse, a general was lost. For want of a general, a battle was lost. For want of a battle, a war was lost. For want of a war, a nation was lost. All for want of a nail. We think the little things don't matter. We think those are the things we can just go, oh, well, they're not really that important. For want of a nail, a horse was lost. The little things do. And the people who do them, God sees it. Remember you saw the widow's mite? God is faithful to notice these things. I like the story told of the craftsman who had traveled from America, to America from Europe to dedicate his life to some of the detail work in one of the country's grandest places of worship. One day a sightseer was touring, touring this edifice and observed the workmen meticulously laboring near the high ceiling on a symbol which could hardly be seen from the floor. 
What is more, he seemed to be occupied with a detail on the top, even out of view of the most careful observant worshiper. The sightseer said, why are you being so exact? No one can even see the detail you are creating from this distance. The busy artist replied, not missing a stroke, God can. That's what it's about. Ephesians 6, verses 6 through 8 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will, re he will receive the same from the Lord. Colossians 3, this is a favorite of mine, verses 23 and 24, And whatever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Our work is unto God, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter what we do, we do it unto the Lord, and thus we give it our best. Because somebody may never see it, but he will. So even like that little craftsman up at the top, that little detail nobody else sees, God does and that changes how we function. It affects us as we go through life. There's a story told, well, the Shabbatai and Jozebad. And we see these two guys in verse 16. Now you see why I didn't read all the names? I probably would have heard those. So these two gentlemen, these, these guys are the buildings and grounds workers. They did what was ever, whatever was necessary to keep the facilities in tip-top condition. So, who are the Shabbathites and Jazabads here in the church? Who are those who do whatever is necessary to keep things in good condition? If something breaks, they fix it. If something needs to be moved, they move it. Where would the church be without them? Apparently, um, this morning, there was an air conditioner that needed to be moved. Because one of the gentlemen noticed it. Well, what happens if he doesn't notice that air conditioner? How long does that air conditioner stay? We're very fortunate here in the church that we've got, a, we've got a few people that are really, really on top of things. But what happens if they get a cold? What happens to the rest of us having an opportunity to participate? We'll get to it. There's a story of the English architect Sir Christopher Wren who was directing the building of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Some workers were interviewed by a journalist who asked, what are you doing here? And the first said, I'm cutting stone for three shillings a day. The second said, I'm putting ten hours a day in on this job. The third replied, I'm helping Christopher Wren build the greatest cathedral in England for the glory of God. <coughs> Perspective is very, very important in things that we do. We need to have the proper perspective. I'm painting the sanctuary so that everybody can come in and worship God. It's more than just that. The number of comments as people came in and said, wow, this is so amazing. Look at what's been done. But behind the scenes, paint had to be gotten. Finances, um, drop claws, Chairs move, curtains down, shutters off. There's so many things. Now this is the great thing. We all can be a part of it. And many hands make light work. So if one person's doing everything, it's really, really difficult. If lots of people are participating, it's much more fun. 
and as they've noticed on the campus, I like I like to have a big group of people around when we do things. You know, it's a lot more fun. It's more entertaining, and no one person's carrying the whole thing. Everybody's participating. Everybody gets experience. That's why. So, Chuck Colson tells this story. Um, he went to go preach at San Quentin Prison. And he had this opportunity, and he greatly anticipated and was carefully planning for it. And he found out that 300 of the 2,200 inmates in the facility had agreed to come to the chapel to hear him. But just days before his arrival, the officers uncovered a secret cache of weapons, and the prison was immediately locked down with the inmates confined to their cells. When Colson comes to the prison chapel, he was disheartened to find out that only a handful of men were able to be present, and they were mostly Christians. His spirits flagged, for he had hoped to preach the gospel to the unsaved. Struggling with a lack of enthusiasm, he thought, maybe I'll just give a short devotional, ten minutes or so. I can't really preach my heart out to this crowd. But then spotting a camera in the far end of the room, he said to himself, maybe this is being recorded for the chapel library. Maybe I'd better give it my all. He felt convicted for basing his morale and mood on the outer circumstances rather than the inner impulse of the spirit. So he preached with great fervor as though a thousand inmates were listening. And later he mentioned to the prison chaplain how disappointed he had been to have missed the opportunity to share the gospel with the 300 men who had originally signed up to attend. Didn't you know, asked the chaplain, because of the lockdown, the administration agreed to videotape your sermon. They will be showing it to all the inmates tomorrow on closed-circuit television in the morning and again in the afternoon. In fact, the sermon was aired not just twice, but nearly a dozen times over the following weeks. Because of the lockdown, not just 300, but all 2,200 prisoners heard the gospel. Colson lays out three lessons that he learned from this. One, Mother Teresa was right. God calls us to faithfulness, not to success. When our goal is to change society, we often fail. When it is simple obedience to God, He blesses our efforts more than we can envision. And we should not grow weary in well-doing, for we shall reap a harvest if we faint not. For me, directly applicable, because no matter what church I come to, doesn't matter. It's 300, 15,000, 20. Doesn't matter. Because I don't know who God's put there. And I don't know what God's going to do. So I know that all I have to do is be faithful, and God can do all sorts of things. And you never know if you're going to have the next Billy Graham sitting there. You, you don't know. You don't know who it was. See, when I was four years old, I walked down two houses to a little house church on a street in Winnipeg, Manitoba. This is back in the day when kids were able to wander away. Safer world that we were living in at the time. There were two ladies in there teaching Sunday school class. They told me about Jesus. That afternoon, my grandmother picked me up, and I stood up on the back seat of the car. How you really know that we were back in times before car seats and everything else? And told her that I love Jesus, and that day it changed my life. Throughout my life, the Lord was right there with His hand on my life. What would have happened if those two Little old ladies teaching Sunday school hadn't been there that day. What if they decided those kids are nasty? Or they just don't appreciate it? 
or nobody says thank you when I go and do this. And I've been laboring in that church for 30 years, and nobody ever says that I've been there, uh, you know. But they didn't do any of that. They were there. I really coolly got to go back like 30 years later and preach it. That was awesome. I couldn't believe it when I got that chance because I never would have thought that I'd end up there. And I got a chance to go in and share with that congregation what Jesus had done in my life all those many years ago. And so it doesn't matter what you see around you because God's doing something. And He's got you right where you are asking you, will you be faithful? Not famous. No big lights. Mataniah in verse 17 is our next person to take a look at. Mataniah was the prayer was the prayer warrior of the temple and chief encourager. When others complained, he prayed and gave thanks. Now, if you can identify the prayer warriors and encouragers in your church, you want to get to know them. If you're them, keep going. Keep doing it. Where would we be without those prayer warriors and encouragers? My grandparents prayed for myself, my family, everybody in the family by name every single day of our lives. Every single day without fail. Every day they kept praying. Faithfully. There was the family prayer list. We were on it. Come to find out at their funerals that um, they also had a second prayer list. Because everybody in the family knew that they were praying for us. And other people, when they would come into contact with us, would know that our grandparents were praying for us, and they'd want to get on my grandparents' prayer list because, gee, let's face it, if you're going to have somebody pray, you want people that are going to be faithful and pray. You, know, you really want to know you're going to get prayed for if you're asking for that. So, they did. They had a second prayer list. Devotions kept getting longer because prayer lists kept getting bigger. But God was faithful. They were prayer warriors. Prayer warriors in the family that everybody has looked up to. And to see it, my grandfather's funeral, all those people there, because of his faithfulness. I think more people heard him preach after he retired than during his whole active ministry. Full-time ministry. But I think more people heard him preach after he retired than before. And one of the things he'd asked me about back in February was, yeah, I don't think anybody will come to our funerals. Because we've outlived everybody. They were 95. You know? They simply outlived everybody. And so when the funeral ended up happening, I was asking people, so what how did you know how did you know my grandfather? They'd heard him preach. And so they had come. We don't know what God's doing. And those prayer warriors and encouragers, we need you. They're very, very important. Barclay writes. One of the highest duties is the duty of encouragement. It is easy to laugh at a man's ideals. It is easy to pour cold water on their enthusiasm. It is easy to discourage others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time, a word of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a man on his feet. Blessed is the man who speaks such a word. 
In a cartoon a few years ago, a little guy was taking heat from his sister and friends for this newfound calling that he had. He was patting little birds on the head. The distressed birds would approach, lower their little feathered heads to be patted, sigh deeply, and would fly away satisfied. It brought him no end of fulfillment in spite of the teasing he took from others. What's wrong with patting birds on the heads, he wanted to know. What's wrong with it, his embarrassed friends replied. Nobody does it. If your niche is encouraging, please don't stop. If it's embracing, demonstrating warmth, compassion, and mercy to feathers that have been ruffled by offense and bruised by adversity, for goodness sake, keep stroking. Don't quit whatever you do. If God made you a patter, then keep on patting for the glory of God. A kind word in season does so much to lift a person's spirits. Just a kind word. There's very few kind words that will ever be shared by the world. So if God's given you the gift of encouragement, encourage others. Keep going. You're doing a good job. And just because others say something doesn't mean that you should stop. Keep going. You're having an impact. You're making a difference. One of the things I liked was back in high school, one of my professors used an uh, illustration about a clear pond. So just picture a nice still pond. And if you take a rock and you drop it right in the pond, just at the shore, you drop that rock into a clear pond. You begin to see ripples. And it'll start off with one ripple and then it just spreads and goes out across the pond. That's the impact that we can have by being encouraging. It's the same as the reverse of that story of the guy who gets yelled at by his boss, who then in turn yells at the next guy down the way, who then turns and yells at the next guy down the way to the guy who goes home and kicks his dog. And the dog's going, why did I get kicked? I didn't do anything. It's the same way with encouragement. See, we, we know when it's bad, but we don't always know when it's good. You're having an impact. And those positive ripples can make such a difference. The butterfly effect. We're going to go with another illustration. The idea that a butterfly's wings, when they're flapping, that little bit of breeze that they create has an effect down the road to eventually then forget it. It's okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, there's one illustration that you shouldn't have gotten. That was my one. I'll drop that one and move on. Uzai is our last guy to take a look at. We see him in verse 22. Uzai led the people in worship each week. He removed the barriers and brought people into God's presence. Who are the Uzais in our church? Who are those that remove the barriers so people can worship? Who are those who prepare Sunday school lessons, work in the nursery, or help in children's worship? Without their sacrifice, it would be hard to concentrate and worship God. Where would the church be without them? It's interesting, this event in the park and then the harvest party. Why are those important? Because the town's already noticed that the day in the park hasn't happened yet. They noticed. People wonder, hey, you know, does anybody notice something that we do? Yes, people notice that something that you do has an impact and they're wondering what happened. I know, hey, it's a Saturday, wait. But it's an opportunity to meet a bunch of people that may have nothing positive in their life except for that one event. 
the harvest party. Why is that important? It gives people a place to come. It gives the kids an alternative. Halloween can be a scary thing, especially in this world now. And to have a place where the kids can come, that the food is safe, that, you know, anybody with kids has gone through bags of candy looking for razors, going, you know, there's strange people out there. It has an impact. But it takes people. And it takes, the more people, the better it gets. Because that way nobody, one person's carrying it. Now, I understand, and nobody has actually talked to me about this, other than me asking questions, but um, Mary, is it Mary? The, the lady, the one who's not here, the one that's in the hospital, or was in the hospital, Mary. Okay, that's, that whole day in the park thing was something that God laid on her heart, from what I understand. And it was one of those things that she tried to say, Lord, really? There's so many other people that are better at these things. But now she's been in the hospital and there's other things that need to be done. So there's an opportunity. If you're looking for an opportunity and going, okay, God, what can I do? There you go. There's one. So, And I'm sure that if you talk to Bob, Frank, Tara, any number of people, they'll know something that needs to be done. The Harvest Party, there's a great opportunity to be able to have an impact. Maria, can you come here for a second? Sometimes it helps. This is an example of a child that you can have an impact on with the Harvest Party or the Day in the Park. Okay? This is the demographic. This is a nice eight-year-old girl who has been to a Harvest Party or two and has really enjoyed them. And they've been good, ever? Really enjoyed them? Highly recommend them? There you go. Thank you. That's the sort of impact that you can have. You can have an impact in a kid's life. Now, let me tell you, because sometimes these are things you may not know, some homes are really not good. Sometimes the best place that a kid can come is church. Sometimes the best place a kid can come is a day in the park, and it may be the only thing that they get to see that's any fun. But you can have an impact because you don't know what God can do. And you could influence a little four-year-old who ends up all the years later standing behind a pulpit in a church telling of your faithfulness and the impact that it had in one life. And that's just one life. Who knows how many other people's lives have been influenced? How much else God's managed to do just with people that were faithful but not famous? 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So, are you willing to volunteer to be moved by God from deep within? To serve Him wherever needed for no recognition? Are you willing to serve God in complete anonymity? Again, highly inspirational message. God has called us to be faithful, not famous. And that means three things. God has given you unique gifts to be used for Him. Each one of you has gifts and abilities that somebody else doesn't have. Each one of you has something that you can do for the Lord. Nothing you do for God will go unnoticed by God. Man may never say thank you, but God notices it all. And more important than people knowing who you are 
is people knowing who God is. Because that's what we're called to do. Outside Washington, D.C., in the Arlington National Cemetery, is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. This monument represents the millions of Americans who have given their lives in defense of their nation. Every one of us owes a debt of gratitude to this great army of the unknowns. God is looking for a few good men and women who will serve Him, sacrifice all they have for His honor and His glory. He's looking for a few good people who are not interested in making a name for themselves, but interested in making the name of Christ known. So, go ahead and sign up for a tour of duty with the Lord's Army. It's worth it. And you never know. It's awesome. You get to have a ton of fun. You really do. Okay, I've got to put that in. I have fun. It's the best thing that you can possibly do. You get to see God do so much. When you see Him change lives, that's amazing. It is absolutely amazing to see what God can do. And I'll tell you what, it sure has been nice. I didn't know that I'd get a chance to come back and be with you folks. So it was awesome to be able to have this chance to spend some time with you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the church with me this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to see the things that you would have us do. Lord, help us to pay attention to the things that we can make a difference in. Even if nobody notices, God, we know that you see. And Lord, we want to make you known and to help people know you. So Lord, we just ask for your help. Father, I pray for those that can't be here today, for those that are recovering like Mary. Lord, we just ask that your touch would be upon her body. That, Father, you would bring about a complete healing. That you would even right now strengthen her. That, Lord, you would encourage her heart. Father, we thank you for her and for what you've laid in her life. And for all those that are prayer warriors, encouragers, and faithful. God, help them to continue doing what they do to make the impact here. And Lord, we just ask that you would help more to learn and to join and to be a part of that, that together we could make an impact for your kingdom. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, we ask that we could go with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.